There are certain skills, critical skills, that you need, that we all need, not only to get ahead in our lives, but also to ensure a successful path forward for our children and for the survival of our constitutional republic. You're listening to All About Skills, where we discuss the eight critical skills you need to succeed and how CEOs, placement directors, executive recruiters, and career-minded individuals utilize them to propel themselves to a higher level of understanding and achievement. Get ready to learn, master, and excel with your host, Charlie Jett. Thank you, Anne, and welcome to It's All About Skills. This is a series of programs where we discuss the critical skills and their application in the real world. My name is Charlie Jett, and we're coming to you from our studio in beautiful downtown Chicago. I'm an internationally certified coach, and I specialize in career management, skill development, positive intelligence, and career crises. You can access my website at charliejetcoaching.com. Well, we have a terrific guest today. John Dalton was our 70th Secretary of the Navy, and he served from July 1993 until November 1998. Secretary Dalton is my U.S. Naval Academy classmate, the great class of 1964, and he's a fellow nuclear submarine. He attended Louisiana State University before going to the Naval Academy. He graduated there with distinction and entered the U.S. Naval Nuclear Power Program. He served then in the Nuclear Submarine Force until 1969, went on to earn his MBA degree from the Wharton School, and then embarked on a career that was mixed with corporate and government service. And as I mentioned earlier, President Clinton nominated him to become our 70th Secretary of the Navy. So welcome, Mr. Secretary, to It's All About Skills. Thank you very much, Charlie. It's great to be with you. And uh, I'm complimented that you asked me to be on your podcast. Well, I'm delighted you joined us. And to start us off, why don't we go back a bit and tell us a little bit about your background, where you grew up, your family, where you went to school, and so forth. Well, I was born December 13, 1941 in New Orleans, Louisiana. Uh, on December 13, 1941, and that was six days after we entered the uh, World War II. And uh, I, I tell my friends that the Japanese heard I was coming and bombed Pearl Harbor. <laughs> That's I, heard that room, I heard that rumor too. <laughs> <laughs> but at any rate, uh, I, I was lived in New Orleans for three years. And when I was three years old, my dad was, uh, who had an eighth grade education and my mother had a high school diploma. They moved to Shreveport, Louisiana, which is the opposite end of the state. Uh, New Orleans is in the southeast corner of Louisiana and Shreveport is in the northwest corner and uh, those are the two ma major cities uh, as well as Baton Rouge of Louisiana and uh, I went to public schools uh, went to kindergarten and uh, Alexandria Elementary School and Hamilton Terrace Junior High School and C.E. Bird High School, which is, is a great high school. And, uh, and, you know, I anticipated, I was a pretty good athlete and uh, 
I was uh, playing quarterback on the high school football team. And in, in my sophomore year, I got hurt. And my, the doctor told me that I could forget about athletics uh, because uh, I had this bad knee injury. And at that point in time, they, you know, put a cast on it. And, and uh, I went back to a different doctor uh, to have the cast taken off. And he told me that if I would swim on the uh, knee that I could rehabilitate it. And, and so I, I, I did and did, you know, did that every afternoon after high school and, and rehabilitated my knee and, and was able to play basketball after that. And, uh, you know, we heard a, a speaker at the, at Bird High School, B-Y-R-D, uh, C-E Bird, uh, at any rate, he said that he wanted his son to go to the Naval Academy because he was convinced that was the best overall education a young man could get. And I said, aha, that's for me. I mean, I had a, been hoping to have a, a, a football scholarship, but I, th this was uh, a, a ticket for a, a much better education. So I, I wanted to go to the Naval Academy. Unfortunately, I didn't get the appointment and uh, I learned about it late in my senior year and in April or May. And uh, so I had no choice but to go to a, a state school and I went to LSU for a year and I loved that and really enjoyed it. And uh, so, uh, my goal was to go to the Naval Academy, but I didn't make it the first time. And so I went the following year, which was a blessing in disguise. Yeah, you mentioned once before, I think to me that uh, you know, for young people who might be contemplating going to those academies that uh, a year of college is really helpful before they go. Well, it, it was helpful to me. I, I had turned, uh, 17 in December before I graduated and I was a, a young 17 and you know that extra year of maturity was was a blessing to me, to me. So then you went to the Naval Academy and joined the great class of 64. Those were marvelous years John and when you look back at that Naval Academy experience what do you consider to be the three or four most important skills that you learned there? Well, you know, we had uh, great leadership at the Naval Academy. Uh, Admiral Charles C. Kirkpatrick was superintendent for much of the time that we were there. And he used to tell us whenever he had a group of midshipmen together, he would always say, he would close by saying, you can do anything you set your mind to do and don't you forget it. And, Boy, I remember that, John. Well, he 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 was a great leader, and uh, and you know we had we had three great superintendents uh, while we were there, and uh, he, he was you know he he was the most inspirational one of the of the three, and he you know 
I, I learned leadership. I learned discipline and the honor concept uh, that we were a part of was made a real impression on me. And, and uh, you know, that taught me the core values that the Naval Service has of honor, courage, and commitment. You bet. And so following graduation, uh, like many of us, you entered the U.S. Naval Nuclear Power Program. I well, I, I didn't. Uh, first of all, I, I was, I was uh, one of five of our classmates who, who were selected to compete for a Rhodes Scholarship. And Corky Graham that you've talked to was one of the five as well. And uh, uh, that competition wasn't over until December. And the battalion officer we had at the, in the fourth battalion said, he was a submariner and he said, I recommend that you go directly to a submarine and, uh, and until the competition's over. And, and then I recommend you apply to nuclear power school or uh, consider that. And so, you know, he was an influential person to me and being our battalion officer, being a, a commander where, where uh, that was a fairly significant rank. And, and I took his advice and I, I really enjoyed serving on the USS Blueback, which was home ported in Pearl Harbor. So it was a pretty nice uh, assignment. That's a pretty nice assignment after four years on the Sever. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. <laughs> well, then you entered the nuclear power program and, and that comprised of, uh, you know, six months of uh, study, six months of prototype training and six months of, uh, did you do the submarine school too? Or just tell us about that. No, I did not. I, I, I qualified in submarines without having the benefit of, of, of nuclear, of, of submarine school, and I was one of the few who has who has achieved that. And I have my golden dolphins right over there on the uh, credenza. And uh, at any rate, uh, I did not get the road scholarship. None of the five of us got it, as a matter of fact. And uh, and so then I applied to nuclear power school and I had to be interviewed by Admiral Rickover. And he said, why are you so late applying to my program? And I said, Admiral, I was uh, competing for a Rhodes scholarship. And he said, why'd you want to do that? And I, <laughs> I gave him my, what I thought was a responsible answer. And he said, have you read my book on education? And I said, no, sir, I haven't. He said, you read it, get out of here. And that was, that was the interview. And, uh, <laughs> he and was so at any rate, I didn't know whether I'd been accepted or not, but I, I got orders within a couple of weeks to, to report to nuclear power school. And after that experience at nuclear power school and the prototype, what would you, looking back, what would uh, you say were the most important skills that you learned from that experience? Well, uh, I, I was not a, 
a, a super nuke. I, I, I re really did not, engineering was not my forte, even though we had a lot of engineering in undergraduate school and I, I did, did well there. Uh, I, I studied very hard and, and uh, you know, I, I loved the USS Blueback, but once I went to nuclear power school and, and uh, was on the USS John C. Calhoun, which is a fleet ballistic missile nuclear powered submarine, I, uh, I, I got sort of disenchanted with, with the Navy. And then the crowning blow was for me, uh, uh, my sister lost a daughter while at camp and I was about, you know, five days before we were going to uh, go on patrol and, and uh, I went to the commanding officer and I said, Captain, I would like to have emergency leave to go be with my family during this tra tragedy with it, that we've had. And he said, I'm sorry, John, but we deploy in five days and I can't replace you in five days. And I, I, I thought my, to myself, you know, I understood that completely, but this is not the kind of life that I want to have. And, uh, and, you know, when emergencies happen in, in your family, I want to be there. And, uh, and so I submitted my letter uh, when we got back from patrol and, uh, and then resigned from the Navy, uh, my commission in the Navy. Well, I, I stayed in the Navy Reserve for a few years, but at any rate, I entered New, uh, Wharton School and, and, uh, and decided to pursue uh, the investment banking industry. And you spent, um, you spent about 20 years in the business world. Uh, and, you know, from 1969 till the, you know, mid seventies, when you were involved in, uh, you got involved in government. Tell, tell us how that happened. Well, I, I went to Goldman Sachs after after I got my, well, first of all, I'm, I, you know, the, the high point in my life was marrying my wife, Margaret, in 1971. You were a lucky guy, John. Bless you. Thank you. I, I uh, at any rate, the last semester I was at Wharton, uh, we were married and, uh, and then I joined Goldman Sachs and I thought that was going to be my career, but, uh, you know, I, I met Governor Jimmy Carter, who was who was running for president, and in, uh, in 1975, July of 75, I was active in the Naval Academy alumni chapter that was there and uh, in Dallas, and uh, one of his classmates was on our executive committee, and he said. Governor Carter is going to be speaking to the Texas AFL-CIO convention, and we should have him for a guest speaker. And I thought that was a good idea. And uh, I 
sat next, I was on the executive committee and sat next to him during lunch and the podium was on the other side. So we had a good, good opportunity to visit and we had a lot in common. We were both Southerners, both Naval Academy graduates, both submariners, both involved in family and faith and and we just hit it off. And uh, and I said, Governor, how are you gonna break out of the pack? I mean, this, you know, it was a crowded field. And uh, he said, I'm gonna win Iowa and you can bank on that. And I'm gonna win New Hampshire, use that momentum to win New Hampshire. And if I can beat George Wallace in Florida, the nomination is, is mine. And a Democrat's gonna win in 1976 after the Watergate and the Vietnam problems and, and you know the whole the whole nine yards and uh and so i i'm i really enjoyed his speech and i went home from work that day and i said margaret i had lunch today with the next president of the united states and i was as sure of it as um as i as as my name is john dalton and uh and so at any rate uh when I was active in his campaign and when he was elected, he asked me to serve as president of the Government National Mortgage Association, Ginny May. Mm -hmm. and that was my introduction to politics. And what was, how did you find the change uh, from the business world and the military to the political world? Well, I, you know, it was all new to me and uh, I, uh, I, I served, you know, I, I had a client that was a, that had very good advice to me. And he said, uh, you know, I, I've, he had just come back from Washington uh, as a executive assistant to uh, Governor uh, Bill, Bill Clements, who was de Deputy Secretary of the Treasury of the deputy secretary of defense. And uh, he said, look, find out what's important to the president that he's gonna have a tough time doing and help him on it. And so that was good advice. And, and uh, when the Panama Canals Treaty came up for ratification, I said, aha, this is what Peter O'Donnell was talking about, my client was, was talking about. And, uh, and I realized it was gonna be a tough road to hoe. And so I helped get the vote of Lloyd Benson, who was uh, the Democratic Senator from Texas and Russell Long, who was uh, the senior person on the, uh, the Louisiana delegation. And at any rate, uh, I helped him on that. And, and then when they formed the reelection campaign, uh, President Carter asked me to be the treasurer. And I, I did and did that for, uh, you know, it was a 24 seven job. And after about eight months, I, I went to Hamilton Jordan, who was the chief of staff. And I said, Hamilton, I, you know, this is a 24 seven job and I've got small kids at home and I need to go back into 
government and there was a seat open on the Federal Home Loan Bank Board and I asked him to have the president appoint me to the to that membership and uh, I there was three members of the of the board uh, two Democrats and one Republican at that time and uh, and so he appointed me and and then I uh, after I became chairman when, when when the chairman resigned after the election and my term went through June of 82 and uh, or yeah uh, and uh, so I, I was chairman for a while until President Reagan named a new chairman, Dick Pratt, and he he became chairman. And and about that time, a headhunter reached out to me and said, "We've got this great job in San Antonio, Texas, as as president of the real estate division of a of a savings and loan association." So I did that. Wow! And so. You left uh, government service and then went back into the business world. Uh, what, can you just sum up what the major skills that you learned during that period of your government service? And we'll, we'll look ahead to, to your future service in a minute, but just look back on that experience on the Federal Home Loan Bank Board and Ginny May. What did you learn? Well, I think the same things I learned at the Naval Academy of uh, leadership, discipline, honor, deserving with honor and treating people with dignity and respect and, and you know, asking people what people thought of these various considerations we were, decisions we were considering. And uh, at any rate, I, I, I really enjoyed my time in government and uh, in business. And, you know, uh, while I was at the savings and loan, a couple of developers came to me and said, you know, you are working for a private company and the CEO is younger than you are. And, uh, you'll, ne you'll never run this association. And, uh, we're going to buy us a, a savings and loan and we want you to consider joining us and and running it and so i agreed to do that there was one catch and that was i needed to invest a million dollars into the deal and i was i was uh worth less than half of that at the time and uh and so i it took out a loan to, to I agreed to do the job and and took out a loan. Everything went well for a couple of years, but then the oil prices went from $40 a barrel, whereas the Fortune magazine was uh, recommending, uh, predicting that it would go to $70 a barrel. Instead, it went from $40 a barrel to $10 a barrel, and the economy in Texas was in the tank. And, uh, and they also, Congress passed a law that made real estate less valuable. And so that, that, that too uh, hurt the, our business. And 
my SNL actually failed and uh, it was taken over by the Federal Home Loan Bank Board uh, Southwest plan and it was merged into other institutions. And, you know, that was the low point of my life. And, uh, and you know, the, the things, the three, the thing, things that helped me get through that were my family, my friends, and my faith. And uh, those things were very important to me and, and got, got me through that uh, very difficult time. And, it, you know, I, I remember telling, uh, you know, my wife telling me she, she was concerned about me because she said, you know, you're on the Ecumenical Center for Religion and Health, and you have great respect for the guy that runs it. Why don't you please go talk to him? And I, so I made an appointment to talk to him. And he, he said, John, I, I, after I told him the SNL story, he said, John, what's the worst thing that can happen? I said, Don, I could have to declare bankruptcy. And he said, okay, let's assume that happens. You have a wonderful wife of beautiful children. You've got a degree from the US Naval Academy. You've got a degree from the Wharton School of Finance and Commerce. You can start over. And, and Clint Markerson, who owns the Dallas Cowboys, Governor John Connolly, who had been governor of uh, Texas and secretary of the Navy and secretary of the Treasury, declared bankruptcy. And Michael DeBecky, the first guy that ever did a DeBecky, did, did a, a heart transplant, uh, also declared bankruptcy. He said, you can start over. And well, John, I'll bet you, I'll bet you, you also heard Uncle Charlie whispering in your ear too. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. You anything you set your mind to do. Yeah, exactly. Then things turned around, but and now, but you know, looking back, sometimes failures, uh, they're not bad. They're a learning experience and they make just like a broken bone heals be stronger after that. Is that what happened to you? Absolutely. I mean, you know, that crisis, even though it was very difficult and, and my hair was dark at the time, but, uh, you know, it was, uh, it, it was a learning experience. And, uh, you know, I, I, I was active in political, politically even while I was in the SNL business and uh, and in the investment banking but I, I got back into the investment banking business I was with Stevens uh, the investment banking firm head, headquartered in Little Rock and uh, and I was with them and and I was active in the Democratic Leadership Council and Bill Clinton was the chairman of that, and that's where we worked together and and got to be friends. And when he was elected, he appointed me to be the 70th Secretary of the Navy. I can imagine the thoughts that went through your mind after all that period up leading up to that time. Tell us uh, 
what what went through your mind as you began that job as the 70th Secretary of the Navy? Well, I'll tell you, uh, it was it was not good timing from the standpoint of the Navy having big problems. They had just been through the tailhook convention and where the, those who may not remember that was uh, in, in 91 and uh, where naval aviators were abusive of women and, and, uh, and I had to deal with that. There was the biggest cheating scandal in the history of the Naval Academy had, had occurred and uh, I had to deal with that. There was law change with respect to gays in the military and women in combat, which really rocked the culture of the Navy Department, both the Navy and Marine Corps. And, uh, and then there was also the drawdown that uh, happened uh, as, a, as a result of the end of the Cold War. And uh, so de uh, uh, promotion rates were much lower than normal. And there was a big headline in Navy Times which read, Navy morale at all time low. And uh, that, that was probably true. And uh, I, I had a, my work cut out for me. And, you know, I got a, uh, what, shortly after I was, uh, I was in office, I got these uh, timeless traits of leadership from uh, a minister in California who I have never met, but he said a leader is trusted, a leader uses, takes the initiative, a leader uses good judgment, a leader speaks with authority, a leader strengthens others, is optimistic and enthusiastic, never compromises absolutes, and leads by example. And I've, I've tried to do that as the Navy secretary. And, and, uh, and, you know, I think it's also important to treat people with dignity and respect and, and uh, you know, that, that's what, that's what, that was the advice that I was given and I took it and tried to run with it. Well, it sounds like you certainly did, and you were you were faced with those challenges of tailhook, uh, the low morale, the cheating scandal, and that sort of thing, and uh, that must have must must have been uh, a challenge for you to reach back for the skills that you learned not only at the Naval Academy but throughout the course of your life. Well, you know th th that's true. I I I, I was I was really. Uh, blessed by, by being sent this. And, uh, and I, I loved all five and a half years that I served as secretary. And, and you know, that's one of the longest periods of, that anyone has held that job. That's right. You know, while you were secretary of the Navy, uh, I, I remember you had an opportunity to 
uh, address the graduating class at the Naval Academy. And when you did that, uh, what were the two or three main messages that you wanted to deliver to those graduates? Well, uh, as I mentioned, uh, the timeless traits of leadership were very, very important to me. And I, I used a Naval Academy graduate as an example of each of those traits. And, uh, and I, for a leader is trusted, I used President Jimmy Carter as, as uh, being trusted throughout the world. And uh, Margaret and I are going to actually go to his 75th wedding anniversary in Plains, Georgia at the end of this week. And uh, I look forward to congratulating him on being a role model and uh, for, for husbands and wives. And, and he, he and Rosalind are great people. And so at any rate, I, I talked about those timeless traits of leadership and and used a Naval Academy graduate as as an example for each of the those eight traits. And uh, you know, Charlie Minner, who was the uh, superintendent when we graduated, said, you know, he had retired from the Navy in Annapolis in 1972, and he'd heard every graduation's commencement address since he uh, since he'd been there, and uh, he said that was the best one I've ever heard. <laughs> I said, "Golly, Admiral, that's a very high praise." And at any rate, he that's what he he said. He told me. Oh, that was quite a compliment. Hey, let's uh, let's let's assume you uh, are going back down to Louisiana and uh, are going to address the graduating class of the C.E. Bird High School, uh, and and looking forward at the future of our constitutional republic, what would be your message to these young people to challenge them to ensure the survival of that republic? Well. Uh... I, I, th I think the thing that I, I would tell them is, is uh, number one, you can do anything you set your mind to do and don't you forget it. Number two, the timeless traits of leadership. I, I think those are very important and I, I would cite those and, and recommend those. And, uh, and then treating people with dignity and respect and everybody that you meet. And, and also, uh, you know, I heard uh, the ambassador of the court of St. James, Phil Later once say that we're all busy. We all have a lot on our plates, but we, we got a lot of balls in the air, as he said, but three of them are are crystal, and if you break one of those, you got a problem. And those are that I referred to earlier: your family, your friends, and your faith. And uh, th those are the things I would I would tell young people today in terms of uh, what they, how they can uh, best serve and 
be on this earth. Well, I've, uh, John, you you are certainly one to uh, have who, one who has demonstrated those three things throughout your life and your career. And um, as one who was your classmate and so forth, uh, I want to thank you so much for your service. And I want to thank you for being our guest today on It's All About Skills. And as for myself, I'm an internationally certified coach, and I specialized in career management, skill development, career crises, and positive intelligence. And you can get in touch with me through my website, charliejetcoaching.com. So thank you all for listening today, and we'll see you next time as we discuss the critical skills on It's All About Skills. Thank you for listening to this episode of All About Skills. To learn more information about the critical skills, be sure to visit itsallaboutskills.com for access to resources like blogs, field studies, published books, and more about how to learn, how to use, and how to teach this important content. That's exclusively available on itsallaboutskills.com. We look forward to having you join us on the next episode so we can continue to help you learn, master, and excel by using critical skills right here on All About Skills.